Stop recording. Three, two, one. and gentlemen i am maxwell ivy known around the world as the blind blogger and this is another episode of what's your excuse which you can always find at the blindblogger.net or by asking alexa or google to play what's your excuse um and i bring you interviews with people who have overcome adversity or thrived despite of difficult life circumstances those who have struck out and established unusual businesses on their own, people with real-world tested advice to help you overcome your excuses, and people who I find personally interesting or inspiring. The goal is by the end of our time together, I want you to ask yourself, hey, if that person can do it, then what's my excuse? Uh, again, at theblindblogger.net. I uh, also hope you will visit my sponsor, Chip Edwards from createmyvoice.com. He is the best, uh, the expert at voice branding using Alexa, Google, Siri, and other um, other applications where people find your content simply by using their voice. And that is becoming such a big part of our online world that if you're not there, you're missing out. It's no longer a nice thing to have. It is a necessity that people be able to find you. And of course, as Chip has always reminded me, if you do not claim your name on those devices, somebody else will. And then people will receive whatever content they want them to get when they're looking for you. And that's not a good thing. So create my voice.com use the contact form and uh, he will definitely get back to you and discuss it, explain it and uh, get you started. So again, create my voice.com and uh, you know, we're going to get to, Oh yeah. Uh, please do visit the website, the blindblogger.net slash store. That's where you can find copies of my books, which is actually how me, and my guest of today, Ken Brandt, first got together was a friend of mine, gave him a copy or, or, or asked him to read a copy of one of my books. And he gave me a great review and great feedback. And I started to learn a little bit more about him. So um, Ken is uh, he's, he's a person who grew up with uh, difficulties with vision. He had, was cross-eyed. He had over six surgeries has had cataract and retina, detached retina surgeries. Uh, but he likes to talk about how his vision problems allowed him to uh, have adventures and experiences and see the world in a different way because of his, uh, his eye troubles. And he's even written a book about that, and it's, it's called uh, My Vision, The Adventures and Advantages of Poor Eyesight, I'm looking forward to talking to him about that because people say some of the same things about me. And uh, you can find him at KenBrandt.com, K-E-N-B-R-A-N-D-T.com. We'll give out his social media stuff later. And I know I got the name of his book wrong, but just one last thing. Uh, that was him playing, and we will get to that later in the podcast because that's a story I don't want to get ahead of or behind of. So, Ken, welcome to What's Your Excuse? Thank you for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Max. It's fun to be here. I have the feeling that you're one of those people that it's fun being wherever you happen to be at that moment. <laughs> well, that's definitely a good goal. I, I wish I could achieve it all the time. Well, that's a, that's a good reminder. No matter how, how well we uh, are adjusted to uh, how we see the world, none of us do it all the time. So... Uh, it just makes you more real and believable that you still aspire to do better. So thank you for that. Uh, well, I, I'm sure everybody's aspiring to, hopefully everybody's aspiring to do better. And uh, we're just two of those people. Right, right. So 
I always like to start with one question that I feel like if I get a good answer to that question, it'll get us off to a really good start. So what I want to know is, could you please explain what you mean by having great adventures and advantages of poor eyesight? Sure. Well, just a, a quick um, a minor point. The, the full name of the book is Positive Vision. Positive Vision. Enjoying the adventures and advantages of poor eyesight. So uh, the, the adventures are really a bunch of stories that I just, events in my life that I thought were fun and, and people enjoyed hearing about over a coffee or a beer or just sitting around talking. And I, I took the ones that people liked the most and just wrote them all down and that's the basis of the book. And then interspersed with that are my thoughts on the advantages of poor eyesight, because even though I think, you know, good eyesight is undoubtedly no question better than poor eyesight, there are some advantages to poor eyesight. And it's worth thinking about and enjoying and laughing about them as well. So that was the whole thing. I had uh, spent my life basically not wanting to talk about my eyesight because um, I thought, you know, it would just cause people to ask questions or feel bad for me. And uh, even if I, even, you know, people realized they couldn't see as well, but they, they didn't realize how poor my eyesight was. So I, I just didn't, didn't bring it up in discussions. And then during my career, I was in an in information security and information technology manager and management consultant for many years. I really enjoyed that. But I uh, didn't want to bring up anything related to eyesight or get in those conversations because I figured that would be bad for my career. Uh, but now I'm retired. You know, I'm just goofing <laughs> off and playing trumpet and staying in shape and stuff. So I don't care about my career. And so I thought, well, you know what, I should I should just put all this stuff into a book because there's some other people with poor eyesight that, you know, it might help and they might like it and, and think it's funny. Uh, plus, there's a whole bunch of people that just will like the adventures. So that was my whole theory. And that's where the name came from, although the name didn't come instantly. It took me a while to think it through and I ran it by a bunch of people, but here it is. Right. Well, could you share uh, one of the, one of the stories from the book with us, please? Sure. Uh, one of the first stories is about parachuting. So I like going fast, you know, like I like to run and sprint that, that's no problem. Uh, but rollerblading, bicycling, I, I can easily go faster yeah. than I can see the potholes and the dips and the little bumps coming up. So that gets a little dicey. Face over off. And then um, driving. I've had a, a very small amount of experience driving, you know, which I, I clearly was never supposed to do. And it's <laughs> not safe for society. So it, it's very good that I don't do it. So I thought parachuting you know you're up in the sky you're you're going really fast when you're coming down I said that might be a, a ton of fun so while I was in university I went to American University in Washington DC uh, two friends of mine and I went to Downsville Maryland that's the real name of the town Downsville Maryland which is hysterical <laughs> and we took parachuting lessons for a weekend so we go up there and and you learn all this stuff which is interesting you know you learn how to land and from uh without you know jarring yourself or jarring yourself as little as possible which you figure is probably a good skill to have if you ever have to jump out a window when you know due to a fire or something so it, it's it's a semi-useful skill i guess that i've never had to use otherwise but it's nice to know i can do it Anyway, you learn all this stuff about jumping and which way to fall and what to do when the wind is blowing this way or that way. 
what to do if you land in trees, you cross your legs, which is a very, you know, good idea. So you don't get <laughs> private parts uh, damaged. <sighs> so uh, after learning all of that, then you learn about your backup parachute. You know, like you, you jump out and you have a certain amount of time. And if your parachute doesn't open, you need to know how to open your backup parachute. And this was uh, training in how to do everything yourself. It was not the kind of thing that is, is fairly common now, which is probably a lot of fun, but not what I'm talking about. It's not being strapped to somebody else and that yeah, person you're, you're does not talk- everything for you. Right. Yeah. You're not talking about what they generally refer to as tandem jumping for visually. Impressed. Exactly. It's not that you, we were going up in the plane. We were getting at the, into the outside. We were jumping. We were landing on our own. The whole thing was, was different. And it was the, the old style round parachutes. It wasn't the rectangular parachutes of nowadays. So go up in the plane and it's a little, little tiny plane. So, <laughs> and there's no door. There's just an opening where the door would be. And only the pilot, the instructor, and three or four brand new uh, parachuters, you know, parachuting guys and women are in the plane, all crammed in. And there's no seats except the pilot. So we're in the plane, and I'm inches away. I'm the closest one to what would be the door, but it's this big space. So you're in this little plane. And you can't help but be a little nervous just taking off and, and getting into the right places you're flying because you're inches away from nothing. You know, like, you know, <laughs> if the plane, plane turns suddenly, you're going to fall out the door. So that was, I thought, actually exciting by itself. Anyway, it's we're in the right place and it's time to start. Right. So what you do is you crawl out of that opening, which I was worried about. You crawl out and you get so your feet are standing on this bar that's over the plane's wings. You're outside the plane, right? And your hands are holding onto a bar under the wing. So your hands are on something under the wing. Your feet are on a bar over the wheels. You're hanging on for dear life because the plane is flying. You know, the wind is howling and running. The engine is roaring. You're, you're flying, you know, you're literally flying along. It's very exciting. You're holding on as hard as you can. And then the instructor yells. He goes, jump. But of course you can't hear him because it's so, it's so noisy out there. But what else is he going to be saying? So then after holding on for dear life, you let go. You jump back. And there you are. You're all of a sudden, you're just dropping like a rock. You know, you're, you're going towards the ground. It's really, really exciting. And then, uh, and you're attached. The first three times you, you parachute, you have a line between you and the plane that uh, is supposed to release your parachute. But it takes a while, and the plane is pretty far away before your parachute opens. So you can't help but think, should I open the backup? Should I open the backup? Should I open the backup? Well, luckily, I did not, because it's a real mess if your backup parachute opens and uh, your main parachute opens also, because they'll get entangled, and then it's like having no parachute at all. So I didn't open my backup the main parachute opens. It feels great. It's a very, very good feeling when your parachute opens. So then I realized, all right, uh, where am I and what am I supposed to be aiming for? And then it occurred to me for the first time, you know, I probably should have thought about whether I could see uh, where I'm supposed to aim for before I jump out of the plane, you know? So (laughs) I look around and I'm thinking, all right, because they, they told me uh, you aim for this little frisbee sized thing. It was competitive parachuting, so that's how you compete. How close can you get to a frisbee, right? All right. So that's it, totally impossible for me to see. So then I look around and I go, "All right, it, it's all big fields, um, uh, crops and fields, except." this one place that's not crops and I figured all right that must be it so I aimed for that it was pretty big and that was where 
the plane originally took off from and it was a little airport and it wasn't green like all the other places. So I, I get much closer to that. And then I see, all right, there's a, a circle, a big circle of people and they're standing around. I go, all right, that must be where I'm supposed to go. So I get closer, 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 much closer. And then I can finally see the Frisbee in the middle of the circle. So then that was good. And I got pretty close. I, I got pretty close. And uh, based on that and being good at uh, drinking beers with the more senior parachuting people, uh, that and they, they made me the captain of my university parachuting team. So I was very excited <laughs> about that. Um, and then you had the choice for your second parachuting jump. You had the option of uh, packing your own parachute. You could use one somebody else packed or you could pack your own. I figured, well, you know, I really like this sport. Uh, I'm, and you're taking your life in your hands anyway, I might as well go all out and learn how to pack the parachute. So after I landed, the way you do it is you spread your parachute out on the ground as, as well as you can. But if it's windy, like, like it was that day, you need to take rocks and place them on the parachute to hold it flat, and then you roll it up. And as you roll it up, you take the rocks and you throw them out. So you just roll up the parachute. That's it. So then I go up for my second parachuting jump. And this time, I same, same exact things happen. You know, it's great. But when my parachute opened, like, bam, 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 bam. I'm getting pummeled by small and medium-sized rocks. I didn't see when I was uh, packing my parachute. I had just missed it. Luckily, you know, you're wearing a helmet. You wear a motorcycle helmet when you parachute. So nothing hurt, but it was like, you know, it was a ton of them. I missed, you know, hundreds, it seemed like. Um, And then I looked down. There was nothing I could have done, but I was hoping nobody was underneath me. Uh, But nobody was, and nobody ever said anything. So I, I assume that that worked out fine for anybody who was below. But, you know, you got to be much more careful about taking the rocks out than I was. Uh, so I landed and I did it a, um, a third time and I just had a great time. I really, really enjoyed it. But then uh, upon uh, a discussion with my eye doctor, an ophthalmologist, he said, you definitely should not be parachuting because you've had two detached retinas and if you have a giant blow to the head you know which could could happen if things go a little wrong in parachuting uh you could lose sight in one of your eyes or both of your eyes so i very reluctantly gave up parachuting but i thought it was a ton of fun i stayed friends with the, a bunch of those people for a long time and i highly recommend the sport to uh, anybody who has not had a detached retina. Okay. Well, uh, Ken, you're a really good storyteller, but at this point I have to ask you the question, the obvious question, actually. How did it make you feel when you had to give up something that you had found that much joy in because of your vision? Uh, well, it, it was sad, you know, but uh, I thought, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was my choice. I, I think I made the right choice. Uh, and it's, I, I actually have it in a chapter of my book called Living Longer, where I think that not parachuting as well as not doing, you know, some other stuff, uh, as well as some other more proactive, positive things, you can actually live, it's an advantage of poor eyesight. You can actually live longer if you don't do parachuting, if you don't, I, I would definitely have gotten a motorcycle and had a motorcycle license if I could see well. And, you know, that's probably not so hot for long life. Um, you know, I did some, uh, I briefly did some construction work. Um, I worked on some repairs to the, I was a sheet metal worker and I, I did some repairs to the World Trade Center. And then I, I had to give that up because they thought I, you know, my, they thought I needed a note for my eye doctor to see I could say I could see well enough and he didn't give it to me. So I had to give that up also. And so, you know, you, 
you know, you live and learn, you know, you pick other things. If it wasn't for all of those things, I, I maybe wouldn't have gone into information technology and information security, which worked out very, very well. So, you know, all of that is good. You know, other, other things where I think you can poor vision, maybe leads to longer life um, because you're interested in articles and events about vision and possible improvements you read about them, and then right next to them are stories about general health and diet and exercise. And so you end up reading those, and you probably end up being in, in better shape medically and better shape physically, all of that kind of stuff, just because you're paying attention to that, those things. So there's yeah. all kinds of good things about, about yeah. it. Yeah, but this is a common thing among people with, with vision losses is, you know, uh, more than once having to either accept that they, they could not do something that they felt like they would enjoy or having to give it up after they started because of their vision, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you give it a shot and see what happens, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, um, the other thing, uh, I liked what you were saying there about how, um, you know, you you can make decisions that are based on longer life. I am because of because of my show. What's your excuse? Um, people are often asking me to try things, and I've I've had to get to a point where I'm like, okay, just because I can do something doesn't mean that I have to or that I will. And people make fun of me the fact that on my list of five or six things I ain't never going to do, one of them is skydiving. <laughs> well. A lot of people are are in your camp. You know, I, I, I most of the people I tell that story to would never ever do it. You know, they're they're amazed anybody would do it. Um, you know, and fair enough. You know, I'm not trying to talk anybody into it. I just think it was a lot of fun, and some people might like it. You know? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that kept coming out in your story that I, I want to ask you how you how you came to have this understanding is at the points where I thought my answer would have been, this is really scary. Your answer, your, your comment was, this was very exciting. So how does somebody get, how does somebody, is that, you know, were you raised that way is, you know, do you have any idea where, you know, this, this idea that speed is fun and that things other people would consider scary, you consider ex- exciting. Where does that come from? I have no idea. I have no idea. Is it, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, I, I guess part of it is, you know, I guess genes and, and upbringing. I, you know, my, I had some people in my family who were, you know, were brave and, and did different things. And, you know, my father and one of my grandfathers got uh, medals for uh, courage in, in the Korean war and world war one. And, uh, uh, my mother, I think, has done some very brave things. Uh, the, when I was brought up, uh, I was very lucky. I was never, ever in any discussion with my parents about any possible limits on uh, what I might or might not be able to do as an adult. You know, it wasn't until I got to the age where everybody I knew was getting a driver's license and I couldn't that I really thought about limitations. I had just not been in those discussions or thought about it. I always had to a view when I was growing up that I could do whatever I wanted. So I had a very, uh, you know, thanks largely to my mother. My father died early, but I uh, had a very, very positive outlook. And it turns out unknown to me until much later, you know, she made sure other relatives and friends and teachers and stuff never brought up subjects of limitations with me. So that was great, and I had no idea till later. So, just another reason to appreciate my ma. So, recent uh, Mother's Day was recently, and so uh, happy Mother's Day again, ma. Yeah, it's a good good uh, uh, lesson for anybody that is uh, listening that is is raising children or concerned they may be uh, about to raise children with any type of a disability. Is uh, the type. How, how they will deal with it as an adult. So a lot of that goes back to how did you deal with it when they were growing up uh, 
when they were toddlers, uh, elementary school, junior high, etc. So I'm glad we got to talk about that. Um, now, the other thing I promised my listeners we would talk about is uh, is your is you're playing the, the music on the intro to the show. Um, and I, and I want to do this because I really hope that more people are paying attention. I mean, it, it just brings me so much joy to know that you, you know, you reached out to me and you said, you know, Max, uh, I noticed that you sing on the intros to your show. What would you think about me playing some music on the intro to your show? And so, you know, naturally I had to say, yes, uh, I'm glad I did. <laughs> I'm glad I did. I mean, because, you know, you can't go around telling people if they don't ask, people can't say yes. And then the, when somebody asks you something very simple and, and very reasonable and, and then tell them, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that, you know. So well, uh, someday in the future, I hope we can do a duet intro. That would be fun. It would. And it is totally my fault, y'all, that it didn't happen this time because. Ken has uh, been very patient and understanding with me, waiting for his time on the show. And we talked about him possibly playing the music from my new song and me singing with him. But I just felt like it was it was going to keep us from having this conversation. I didn't really want to do that any longer. So, uh, but I think it's like I say, I, I wanted to share this because it's a reminder to everybody that's listening. Really, it just comes down to if you don't ask, they can't say yes. And, you know, I so so uh, I would like to hear more about how long you've been a musician. And uh, do, do you think uh, the musical background played any part in your life as far as how you have, have how you have lived your life with the with vision loss? Um, well, first, it, it's. Um... I'm in a much earlier time of the morning than you are. So as we're recording this, it's it's Thursday morning, eight a.m. my time, and five p.m. Wednesday night. You're not going to do. You're not. So you're you're not going to aw shucks me and tell me you could have played a lot better, are you? I, I am going to say I botched up the first two notes, but uh, I apologize for that. But as anyway, I it was a lot of fun playing. I I enjoy playing trumpet. I have a very mixed, uh, I, I have to stress amateur, I'm an amateur trumpet player, you know, not nowhere as close to professional, but I really enjoy it. I, I started playing when I was a little kid. I got a trumpet in fourth grade or something. Uh, when I, the band came to explain musical instruments to the kids who might want to take music lessons, all the different instruments played and they explained why they were great and everything. I, re- I just remember that for me, I was truly shocked, truly surprised that everybody didn't pick trumpet. It seemed so obvious to me it was the best instrument, but, but of course it's perfect and great that everybody has different favorites. Otherwise, you know, there would just be trumpets. There'd be no other instruments. Um, so that happened. I played for a little bit and then, you know, I stupidly, you know, dropped it and didn't do anything with it for a, you know, for a really long time. Then I went to university and I did not make nowhere close to being a music major, but I started taking lessons uh, off to the side and playing. And I really enjoyed that. I was invited to be in a, in a band, uh, but I was going to school full time and and working three days a week. So I didn't really have time for that. Uh, And I got out of university and I moved to New York city and lived in a studio apartment where it was pretty much impossible to practice. (laughs) You know, your neighbors could hear you very, very easily. So I ended up not playing for a long time. Eventually I moved to a, a different apartment, a bigger apartment and uh, coincidental with that, uh, I, I went to the opening day, the opening day, it was spectacularly great, of the Louis Armstrong House Museum in New York City, which I highly recommend to anybody, whether you're uh, whatever instrument you play or like listening to, it's a really fun place to go. And uh, you you see where he lived, he and his wife lived, and you learn a lot about him. And it's, the exhibits are fabulous. Anyway, on opening day, 
I took, I took the day off from work. It was a Tuesday, beautiful, bright, sunny, blue day, perfect weather. And they had great trumpeters. Some had flown in from different parts of the world, many from other parts of the U.S., and tons from New York City. And it was nonstop trumpet playing by great trumpeters in front of the house all day. First one, then another, then another. After a while, they realized they were never going to get through all of them. So they started having them two at a time. And then by the end of the day, they were having them three at a time. And it was so good. I said, right, I've got to start taking trumpet lessons. And get going again. So that's exactly what I did. And so much later as an adult, I started doing that. And now I, I play in two bands. One is a, a trad jazz band. We uh, do New Orleans style jazz music and participate in some parades and fundraisers and barbecues and stuff. And the other is a marching protest band, which we, we joined uh, marches in favor of a cleaner environment and human rights and stuff, uh, both of which are, are very fun. So I, how does that relate to uh, vision? Uh, it's harder to, to see the sheet music. So I, I end up holding it very close. I'll show you this. So like if I'm playing, I'm holding the music very close. I'm, I'm demonstrating now. So it'll be like this or like this. So um, yeah, what I really should be spending much more time doing, and I'm trying to work on this now, is learning to play by ear. Because there's so many people who are completely blind who are great musicians. Um, like Stevie Wonder. You know, it's Stevie Wonder's birthday today. So happy birthday, Stevie Wonder. Wow. Um, but I, I am, I'm going to start practicing much more of that because it would be much more fun. You know, you can memorize songs uh, and also you can learn to play by ear. So I, I want to get good at that. That's one of my uh, uh, goals coming up. Right. I just thought that... Um... You know, they talk about the, the mental and emotional value of, of playing music. Of, and I, I was just thinking that that might have had some impact on you when you, you know, going through all the, all the various surgeries and, the, you know, the difficulties of, of your vision experience. Well, I, I've had a, a ton of ups and downs. My vision has gone up and down and up and down. I was legally blind parts of my life. I was... Uh, but now I'm at about uh, 2080 in my good eye and 2160 in my other eye. Uh, so I've gone from there down to pretty, pretty low and back up a bunch of times, depending on, you know, different circumstances. So I, I've had a lot of variety, you know, not just sort of one way getting worse or one way getting better. Um, most of the time when I, or when I was going through those, almost all of those, uh, you know, downhills and then surgeries, uh, I wasn't playing trumpet. It wasn't until the, you know, the very most recent one. So I can't say there was an impact there, but I can say that playing music is with other people is just a really fun thing, you know, whether you know, people are in choirs or in their bands or anything. There's always a place to start. There's always people welcoming. It's a really fun, different kind of social activity. You know, it's not sports. It's not a discussion. It's not like watching something together. You're actually doing and creating something together. It's it's a, a different, uh, interesting kind of satisfaction. It uses your your brain in a whole bunch of different ways. You're you're hearing, you're producing the sound, uh, you're trying to stay in, in sync with everybody else. Everybody's trying to stay in sync with you. It, it involves a, a lot of fun things. Okay. All right. Uh, well, y'all, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm talking with uh, Ken Brandt. He is the author of Positive Visions, Enjoying the Adventures and Advantages of Poor Eyesight. And um, you can find him at KenBrandt.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-T. Um, 
and we've been talking about his life and his book, his experiences. And uh, so you wrote the book hoping that your stories might uh, encourage other people. So what has been your experience as far as uh, promoting the book, sharing your stories, and uh, what kind of what kind of responses have you received? Very, uh, very positive responses. You know, I'm on, uh, if you go to KenBrandt.com, you can see the links to um, LinkedIn and Goodreads and Facebook and Twitter and stuff. And, and I've gotten you know, lots of positive comments and also some, a whole lot of really, really nice uh, interviews and articles, uh, which are, are just wonderful. You know, it's like, People, you know, I didn't know before are writing nice things about the book. So that's very, very heartwarming and encouraging. My hope is I'm a little conservative in terms of the coronavirus. I'm, I'm reluctant to travel that much and, and be in, in places until I'm uh, vaccinated and a lot of people are vaccinated. But after that, I hope to go out and you know, do book talks and, and meet more people because it, it's really fun. I've also had the joy of meeting a whole bunch of people I hadn't met before and, you know, like yourself. And that, that's just a great thing. You know, I, all of a sudden I know a bunch of people around the world that I, I didn't know before, which is, which is really fun. And, you know, and, and I invite them all over. If you're, if you're ever in uh, Melbourne, Australia, you know, come over for lunch. It'd be fun. We'd show you around. And uh, my wife and I would love to meet you in person. Well, I would love to do that. And, um, it, you know, people are starting to be a little less um, a little less quick to invite me because in the last few years I've actually showed up to, to meet some of those people. And so it's, it's, it's one thing to do it when you're pretty sure they won't actually take you up on it, you know, but uh, uh, I've got kind of a nah, reputation. I definitely would not have said it unless they hoped you would take us up. On well, it. I, I, look, I look let's, forward to Let's that. talk a little about some other advantages before I say, which people oh, don't great. think about that much. Great. I love so, that. So I think um, one, of the, one of the advantages, for example, is I think that people with poor eyesight have the edge in some ways in public speaking. Now, lots of people are terrified of public speaking. But apparently, according to polls, many people would rather die than, you know, give a speech. But for us, people who cannot see very well, uh, there's some good things. You know, like if you can't see anybody or you can only see a few of the people, it doesn't really matter how big the crowd is. You can't see more of them. You can't see what's going on in the back. Uh, it just doesn't matter. So you're not intimidated like people who can see everybody in the audience. Uh, also, a lot of times you're on stage and the lights are on you, and that's you know, sort of blinding your view to the audience entirely, no matter how well or poorly you see. And that makes people of good vision a little bit nervous because they can't see the faces and the reactions of facial expressions of people in the audience. But if you're of poor vision, that doesn't bother you at all because you can't see that very well. You can't know what's going on. You're totally used to judging people's reaction by, are they laughing in the right place? You know, is there a murmur in the right place? That kind of thing. You're used to judging by hearing rather than by seeing as to what the reaction is. So you've got those edges there. And then the other thing is, uh, because, you know, we can't, I can't read my own notes very easily. You know, they have to be gigantic, in which case you need too many pieces of paper, you know, so you, you really have to memorize the outline of what you're going to say and have a good feel for the contents of what you're going to say. So you can just rip through uh, your speech and you don't have to worry about that. Uh, that could be, you know, anybody could do that, but we have to do it. So it makes us, in a sense, better speakers. Uh, sometimes when you give a speech, you have PowerPoints uh, where you've got these slides that are going. And 
So, you know, I can create them, but while I'm giving the speech, I can't really see them very well. So I go along and most of the time I'm pretty much in order with my PowerPoints, but sometimes, you know, I'm not in the right order anymore. I'm speaking about some slide and it's not the slide that's being shown to the audience. So, you know, they get a little confused, but they start paying more attention because they're trying to figure it out. If I, but I'm totally relaxed because I don't know I'm out of order. <laughs> then, then what happens is if, if, which doesn't always happen, if I realize I'm out of order then I just laugh and explain what happened, I go, oh, you know, here's what I'm doing. I'm just, talking about the speech and hoping I'm in the right order, but I can't really see the slides. Then they laugh. And then you have a, an additional bond between you and the audience that, you know, just happens. There's, nobody really cares, you know? So then you continue on and, and that all works. So anybody, anybody could take, could do that kind of thing. Uh, but it, it's an, an edge for us. Then you have the Q and a sessions. I, my what I suggest to anybody is, especially if they have poor vision, is get somebody else. I love Q and A, but get somebody else to pick which person asks a question. Don't do that yourself because if I'm doing that, first I'm going to miss a lot of people. You know, somebody would be standing up or raising their hand, and I'm just not going to see them. Uh, second. Uh, I have uh, slightly crossed eyes. You know, they're, if I'm tired, they're, they're even more crossed. Uh, and so people are confused as to which person I'm pointing to. And then you also have the, the advantage. If you're not the one picking the person, you don't have to pay attention to that. You can concentrate entirely on what the question is and what your answer is and where you are. So there's a bunch of advantages for us. And it's in an area that many people are terrified about, public speaking. Yeah, I like to make a joke at the Q&A. I like to tell them, okay, I'm not going to tell you all to raise your hands. And, you know, get a little laugh. And then I, you know, then I ask the MC if they'll, if they'll, if they'll handle that for me, and they usually will. But it's been one of those places where Zoom, that's one thing that Zoom has made easier is the Q&A. Um, something that I'm curious about because we're both public speakers and I imagine you've done some virtual presentations on zoom. Am I correct? I, in, in a small scale, but not as much as I would like. I, I, pro I probably should be looking into that more. All right. Well, just as so long as you've done at least a few, so you understand what I'm asking about. Um, for those of y'all who aren't, who, who are sighted and don't have this issue, I find that I enjoy uh, doing virtual talks less than in person because with my vision loss, I can't see you. And when you do a virtual talk, they turn off the audience so you can't hear them. So to me, it's kind of like talking in front of a green screen. So I'm wondering, is it one of the, what, is, you know, have you had that experience and, you know, is, is speak, does that mean speaking in person is even easier than doing this Zoom stuff? I, I'm i lucky because I, I can see enough to use a computer. Um, so I I can do that. But I, I do, if, if you have a, a, like a small Zoom where you're, you know, there's 20 people or something and everybody's microphone is turned on, you know, then you can sort of hear reactions. But, um, but you're right in the in the bigger ones where only the speaker is microphone goes on. It's uh, I do I do miss that. I, I like hearing all the reactions or the no reaction. There's also something you can learn from total silence. Okay, that joke was not nearly as funny as you thought. You know. <laughs> yeah, I hate having to laugh, laugh at my jokes or at least figure the time that people would laugh at my jokes so that I could keep on schedule. But uh, something else I think that people often tell me is a positive and, and maybe you could share some experiences about this one is that I seem to uh, be less judgmental of others. And I tend to see positive traits in people that other people miss that have good vision. I think that's because of your 
attitude towards life and people as opposed to your vision. I would, I would say my theory and my belief is that that's a, an independent variable that doesn't matter how well or poorly you see uh, is not related to how you treat other people and think of other people. That That's, yeah. that's my initial reaction. I, I don't mean to crush your theory. I just, I just think but that my theories positive for you as a person, but it's unrelated to your vision. No, it's not my theory. I just have many people who say that, um, that I see lots of things that uh, people with vision miss. So it's, but it's yeah, not, that could be theory. It's not my theory. So, so what are some other things where you feel like uh, lack of poor vision is an advantage? Um, uh, balance, for example, like if, if I'm walking around or, or running or something, I'm on the sidewalk and it's night or, or, you know, sometimes during the day, um, is there, you know, is that, is that dark spot? Is that like a little hole? Is that leaves? Is that ice? Is that a bump or what, you know, like I'm not really sure some of the time. And sometimes you don't see, you know, like a dip or a bump or something. So you're walking along and you develop, uh, I think, better balance in terms of just walking. Because instead of anticipating and reacting, you have to react as your foot hits the pavement. You've got to be able to, um, you know, keep walking and, and just do the right thing. And so... You know, sometimes you get a, a jolt where you're going down and sometimes you get a jolt where you're going up. And you, you just keep going. So you have better balance in that sense. Um, my another advantage, I think this is an advantage, although some people argue with me about this one. So this is possibly a controversial advantage. OK, I think um, if if you have some sight, uh, you're hand-eye coordination is actually probably way better. And the reason, I'm not saying you're faster at seeing and catching a ball, for example, than people with good vision, because they see the ball way, 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 way farther away than you do. What I'm saying is, if you have poor vision, you have to react much faster because you don't see the ball until it's much closer. So your hand-eye coordination, your ability to get your hand in the right place to catch the ball has to be better to catch the same ball as somebody who has good vision. So I, I really like that theory. It's, it's totally useless. It doesn't change anything in anybody's life, but I like it. Okay. But I can understand it. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. I can understand it. It would be kind of like if you told a hockey goalie to to react to seeing the puck, but you're not going to let him see the puck till it gets to the crease or to the exactly. mouth of the cage. You know, so he would have to react so much quicker because he's going to see it. And of course, he's going he's going to make far more mistakes because the person that can see it farther off can anticipate and add the anticipation to their reaction abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I can understand it. It does make some sense. And, you know, there's, there's something that you didn't mention that I, that I can see in this. When you're interpreting the spin of a ball, say a baseball thrown by a pitcher that's 62 and a half feet away, sometimes you guess wrong because you see the spin of that ball out of the, out of the pitcher's hand. And so it could be that having to depend on the ball just as it gets to the home plate, uh, you may not guess wrong as much. You know, I, I, one of those things will have is no way to ever figure that out because they're not going to put me and you in a baseball game. <laughs> no, no. Um, I've been, I, as a kid, I was in many softball games and, uh, and that was fun, but, uh, you know, the, the ball's definitely going faster than I could easily see it. Yeah, well, when I was a kid, I was so bad at sports, they made me the pitcher for kickball because they felt like that way neither team would have to take me. 
they also figured that if if I threw the ball for both teams, neither team could complain. There's a lot to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, I used to do uh, – when I was in high school, I was on the cross-country team. And, and one time we went on, a, like, an away trip, and we were in the mountains and for training. And uh, everybody – was you know all right we'll go go down this road there's no turns uh until the first take the first right and that's where we'll meet so he's you know miles down the road so we all take off and everybody's at different speeds so after a while everybody's spread out you know you can't i can't see the person ahead of me i can't see the person behind me you know just jogging along beautiful vermont uh countryside you're going up and down hills and uh and I get a, go along, and, and there's this church and a wedding, and everybody's pouring out of the church and the bride and the groom, and the whole they're they're out on the road, you know. So you have to like sort of slow down and go through the crowd, and I keep going, I keep going, I keep going, I keep going. There's no right turn, there's no right, you know. So I I just I'm exhausted, you know. When it's starting to get dark, I have no idea how far I went, right? So then I said, all right, I'll start walking for a while. I walk for a while and I go, forget it. I don't know where I'm going. You know, I don't know what's going on. So then I turn around and I figure, all right, I'll walk back to where the beginning was because now I'm exhausted and it's, it's getting very dark. So I'm walking along and a police car comes and they go, are you Ken Brandt? Like, well, how did they know who I was? You know? So I said, yes. And he, guy takes me back to where the team was well it turns out that behind that giant crowd getting out of the church that was where the right turn was only I just kept going I didn't notice that I didn't notice it right I didn't see it so my team had called like the police the morgues the hospital they had no idea where I was right they they'd looked around so uh, it turns out there was, you know, maybe another little advantage to being nearsighted. You know, I, I got to see more stuff. I uh, did a little extra training. You know, the whole thing was good. Yeah. yeah. So now uh, you ended up in uh, Internet technology and Internet security. So um, I know you're retired, man, but we really need you. Why, you know, uh <laughs> I'm sure I don't know if you've seen the story about the uh about the big pipeline from from Houston to New Jersey that's major news yeah, yeah currently offline well you never can't tell if news here is news other places but uh so uh what I'd like to ask you about this was a recent topic at a vocational training I was part of here here in in uh, Houston for other visually impaired people what are some of the the simple things that you would advise people as far as their internet security and are there different considerations for somebody who has, who has poor eyesight? Um, first, I don't think there are different considerations. The, the same things pretty much apply to everybody. Um, you know, don't share your passwords you change your passwords fairly regularly, back up your PC, have your PC back up, either be in the cloud or somewhere off-site. Don't back it up and put it in a drawer right next to your PC. Uh, use, don't, op- you know, have um, an email system that checks for spam and check tries to check for viruses as it comes in, have antivirus software on your PC uh, and all these apply to Macs as well. And, or, or um, any other operating system. The, so it, it's a bunch of just common sense mistakes. Don't, you know, if you're, if your browser warns you that a site is potentially dangerous, do not go there. If your, if your email says, you know, this email is dangerous, do not open it. You know, even aside from that, be careful about emails. Uh, don't open stuff if you're not confident that it's, that it's going to be okay. You know, keep in mind that your friends get hacked every once in a while. So you'll get a, you'll get an email from a friend and it won't be a real email. It'll be somebody else. So look, 
and think before you open stuff and as you read stuff, especially before you click on any links whatsoever. So just those basic steps are pretty much the same for everybody. Uh, you cannot perfectly protect yourself no matter what you do, but you can you can do a lot of things that, that will help um, the vast majority of times. I think it's interesting that you also mentioned Mac because for a long time it was kind of assumed. I think there's still a lot of people who still believe that the uh, the Mac OS or especially the uh, the iPhones that they don't have to worry about those things. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Well, part of that is just because, like on the PC world, that's the logical target for hackers because there there's so many more. Uh, Windows-based systems uh, than there are Mac-based systems. So, you know that that was a big part of it. Um, and and in the past, Windows has had a lot more problems. They've really done a ton a ton of work to make their systems better. Uh, the phones are a different thing. Uh, you know, they're all. Uh, you know, it's all newer technology. You know, they're not carrying some of the older technologies. So phones are generally safer, but you still want to be just as careful, especially if you have your phone connected to a whole bunch of other things, you know, like your PC, like a bunch of apps. Yeah. So with your low vision, do you uh, do you find it is an advantage or disadvantage when it comes to managing social media? Or do you do social media considering you're retired? Uh, no, I, I like social media. So I've been published, you know, trying to publicize my book. Uh, I'm spending much more time since writing the book on social media than I ever did before, just because I do posts about the book, about interviews. Like when this is um, released, when, when the video is, that we're doing now is released, I'll, I'll put that on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and, uh, you know, Hopefully more, even more people will watch it than your usual group. <laughs> That's always the hope. That is always the hope. And, um, but, you, but you do have a good following. I, I, I try to tell people that, at least for me, and of course, you know, I've got a whole lot less vision than you. I depend more on screen reader than, than you do. But um, I try to tell my friends that if they really want me to see their stuff, just to be sure and tag me, you know, that, Six o'clock. Yeah, that that thing where you put in the um, the description of any photo is is important too. I forget what you call it, but I I try to do that every time. Yeah, the alternative text description or, or alternative yes, yes, text. yes. Yeah, that's very important. Um, thank, thanks for and some systems let you like almost as many words as you need, and others. They're a little harder to write because they don't give you as many characters. Yeah, I think it's funny that on Twitter you get more cha- you get more characters for your picture description than you get to talk about your picture. <laughs> yeah, 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 but that's a nice thing. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if you know that you have a fair number of blind people in your audience or low vision people, you know, really use those alternative tags because they can be your friends. They can drive people to your website the way the the rest of your social media post doesn't. It also, those alt text things also help uh, search engines understand everything. So it's good for um, search visibility. Right, right. I loved when that finally started to become public knowledge because for years I would tell people that they needed to add those alternative text tags for people like me because it was the right thing to do and without them I would would miss their content and nobody ever listened but once they found out that they were missing out on search traffic then a lot more people wanted to do them without me having to nag them well the other until I wrote my book and started meeting a lot of people that are uh, in the low vision field people who you know they they work for eyeglass companies or contact lens companies or their opticians or optometrists or ophthalmologists or vision scientists or something there or organizations for the nearsighted and blind. And, you know, there's all, there's this whole giant community that, that of people I hadn't met. And I just, 
I had never, I just hadn't paid any attention or somehow had not known about all the text. I just, I just didn't know what it was and, until after, you know, after talking to other people. All right. Well, I've really enjoyed talking with you, Ken. I'm glad we finally got to sit down and talk. Um, would you like to uh, make some final comments to the listeners? Um, and then while I usually do an outro today, I think we'll pass on the, uh, on what did we learn from Ken, if you would like to play a few more bars or something else on our way out. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at, leave that to you. Uh, I guess in terms of final words, you know, first, thank you very much for having me on. Second, uh, thank you to the audience for, for watching and listening. Uh, third, uh, you know, uh, at, at the beginning, uh, Max, you know, gave a whole litany of, of sites and things he wants people to look at. So that that's great. And I'll just add, please look at KenBrandt.com, K-E-N-B-R-A-N-D-T.com. Uh, or, you know, directly check out my book on almost every online bookstore and some other actual bookstores. Uh, any bookstore can order it. So positive vision, enjoying the adventures and advantages of poor eyesight. And, you know, I just, just say to anybody who's you know, got any kind of uh, vision or other issues, you know, just be grateful for whatever abilities you have. Enjoy the challenge. Decide what you want to do. Give it a red hot go. Just go for it. You can, you can have some mishaps and fun along the way. Make sure you're able to laugh at yourself and just go for it. Have a fun time. So those are my, I guess, final thoughts for you. All right. Well, Ken, I appreciate them. I've really enjoyed getting to spend some time with you. I'm sure the people watching and listening have too. And uh, look forward to seeing what you're going to to do next or what we're going to hear from you as far as your retirement and uh, continue to enjoy life, my friend. Thank you very much. And I, and I, I hope in a couple of months. So that, that should be nice too. Yeah. Um, people don't realize that it's uh, it's not, it's a, it's a difficult sometimes time consuming and sometimes expensive process to go from ebook to audiobook. So uh We'll be looking forward to the audio. Be sure and let me know because one of the great things about these is we can always add a mention of the audio book later, even after this, uh, the post about this episode is going out on my website. So we'll look forward to that. Cool. Resume recording. Okay. Well, this is a great interview. I enjoyed spending time with Ken and I hope that y'all do check out his book, uh, Positive Vision. The enjoy, enjoying, excuse me, positive vision, enjoying the adventures and advantages of having poor vision. And like you said, you can find that all on all the book sites and his website, kenbrandt.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-T. So uh, great story about skydiving. I'm still not convinced. I still ain't going to do it. Um, you know, Great points there at the end about how we have to be willing to laugh at ourselves and, and try things. And uh, what was that word phrase he used? A red hot moment or something like that. So I hope he's encouraged you to go out and try things and not to worry how good you are at them or how good you look trying to do them or how bad you look. I've often said that life ain't the Olympics and we would accomplish more if we stopped trying to win style points. Uh, I especially love the message behind him playing on the beginning of this. Now, y'all should should know again. He is from Mel- he is living in Melbourne, and it's tomorrow morning there. So I was really impressed with how well he played. Especially now that I know that uh, he doesn't read music, and uh, there's always so much you can rehearse and practice and memorize. I sh- I know that better than anybody. One of the reasons why I don't post more music more often is because I have to memorize. So I love the fact that he was willing to do that. But also, the most important thing, he asked. He, he listened to some episodes of my show. He noticed that I like to sing on my intro. 
And he said, hey, Max, why don't you let me play some music? So I said, sure, what the heck? Because, as I mentioned to him during the interview, I would be a very poor host and a very poor teacher if I didn't uh, respond favorably to somebody who said, hey, I want I'm, this is what I'm asking for, and it's a reasonable request. So, uh, And someday soon, me and him are going to record me and him playing and singing together. I'm looking, really looking forward to that. Don't know if it'll happen in person in Melbourne or virtually through Zoom, but we will see. Um, I I loved his thing about the skydiving, how he didn't want to go to the place where you jump tethered. He wanted to actually do it, which is cool. And how his vision kind of resulted in him ending up pretty close to the target um, by using what vision he did have. So uh, I enjoyed his story. And for y'all parents out there, don't forget uh, the words you use with your children are very important. If they feel like you don't trust them to try new things, they will never trust themselves. If you put limits on them, then they won't want to break through the limits that other people will place on them later in life or other people will try to place on them. So I encourage those children, whether it's a learning disability, a physical disability, vision loss, or perhaps maybe they're just awkward. Uh, perhaps compared to the other kids, they are just different and don't, and don't look the same or don't sound the same or just don't appear to fit in. Uh, when we put limits on children, we're putting limits on their entire lives in some cases. Not every person will break out of those limits that we establish as, as the, when they're children. So I hope you take that message. This is a very important message from Ken and from his mom. And it's pretty cool that he uh, also wanted to mention her again as as it is still close to Mother's Day. All right. I appreciate y'all's time. I know you have lots of other things you could be doing besides watching and listening listening to me and my guests. I do hope you'll visit theblindblogger.net slash store and pick up a shirt or a book. I hope you'll check out... Chip Edwards at createmyvoice.com because without him, uh, I wouldn't get to do a lot of the cool things I get to do. He's uh, not only his financial sponsor, but it encourages me all the darn time. And uh, I hope that you will uh, visit my new friends over at blueberry.com uh, as they their hosting service is one I use for this podcast. And uh, they are graciously going to help me make the podcast network, the What's Your Excuse Network, a reality. So check out Blueberry.com. Uh, no matter what, always go back to theblindblogger.net. And until next time, I hope you take care of yourself. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Stay distant. Uh, and really, we want everybody to make it through to the end of this mess. All right. So until next time, take care now. Too many times we stand aside and let the water slip away to what we put off to tomorrow as fine we come today. So don't stand upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied. Choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide.